0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Recorded in British Columbia. You're listening to Pacific Sound Radio. Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson and thank you for joining us on the latest installment of Quarantine Edition. This week's episode is going to be a little different and a little bit more on the serious side of things. As most listeners are aware, when quarantine measures went into effect in Canada around mid-March 2020... The live music industry had to close down for what has proven to be an indefinite amount of time. While many non-essential businesses, including some bars and restaurants, have been able to reopen in British Columbia and across Canada, live music venues have remained closed with smaller independent theatres and clubs facing the possibility of permanent closure. Multiple news sources have reported that over 90% of indie music venues in Canada will not survive unless they get financial assistance from the government. Today we're joined by Motar Mohammed, who is the owner and general manager of the Rickshaw Theatre in East Vancouver, to talk about the current situation facing independent Canadian music venues and what you, the listener, can do to help. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show. Um, uh, when you had sent me the email, and we'll get into the details of it, I thought this would be a, a great opportunity to, to reconnect and bring you back on so we can talk about um, an issue that's very uh important to uh to this program um so we've had had you on the show previously and uh, actually featured the band Sunday morning who played the last show at the rickshaw before the venue had to close in compliance with quarantine measures in march of twenty twenty What is the situation like been or what has the situation been like for you, your team, and the venue itself since live music events? were put on an indefinite hold?
1: Well, I mean, we're, um, we were told March 17th, that's when the policy directive came by, that all uh, nightclubs, music venues, uh, have to shut. That was, that was a specific order. Actually, in BC, there have been very few orders to shut businesses. A lot of businesses shut voluntarily, but we were given specific orders to shut down. And uh, yeah, so Sunday morning was the last show we had, March 14th. And we're now July 2nd, and nowhere close to knowing when we'll open.
0: Multiple, and kind of on that, multiple news organizations, including Exclaim and Pace Magazine, have reported that over 90% of uh, indie music venues in Canada will not survive unless they get financial assistance from the government. As a music fan and a musician myself, I was really alarmed when I First heard the statistic. Um, for, based off of your understanding, you know why is the current economic situation for the live the live music industry as fragile as it is?
1: Well, live music industry is, has been fragile in any case, and so what this has done is just highlight the fact that you know we're we're we have a pretty fragile ecosystem in the in the live music industry. Just music, basically. And a lot of people uh, like myself or who own uh, music venues like throughout the, throughout the country, um, small businesses, what drives us is passion more than the bottom line. And so, you know, we put in untold hours to try and make our business work because we like what we do. So, I mean, there's some intrinsic value there, uh, which compensates for the lack of monetary uh, returns. Uh, not saying that you know we don't make anything. We uh, we wouldn't do it if we you know didn't make anything. But um, so what this uh, pandemic has highlighted is that even a slight nudge of um, adversity can have a huge impact. We um, unlike other industries and in, in service industries or retail, when you're specifically in the live music business, your lead time is huge. You can't just open up and all of a sudden, you know, book bands the next day. So with us, being closed has had a huge detrimental effect of all the bands that we had booked. Like I've had to cancel 60 shows, uh, and I've got about 30 more uh, on my books that will likely get canceled uh, this year. And then I had about 50 other dates that had holds on them. So that will have to be scheduled or gone forever. But that's going to take a huge long time as well. So in the absence of zero revenues and still having costs like rent and insurance and property tax and utilities, that's why we're in dire straits.
0: And that speaks to another detail that was circulated pretty wildly, or pretty widely I should say, on a few different music blogs I, I follow that there's this pretty broad understanding that live music in terms of things going back to quote unquote normal some folks uh are thinking like fall 2021 at the at the earliest because of the lead times with yeah, booking
1: exactly i mean yeah there's there's no real timeline this is this is the frustrating part of the whole thing is we don't know i mean when they were announcing the different phases of reopening in in dc large gatherings and nightclubs uh Music bands were specifically mentioned as not opening until phase four. And phase four is defined as when there's a vaccine or a treatment. So, even in the best case scenario, let's say a vaccine is ready by January, we won't be ready. Uh, We will have some small local bands, sure, but we won't be fully functional until at least three to six months after that. So, that's a huge gap between March. 2020, and maybe even August, July 2021, that's a long time to carry all the cost burdens and not having any revenue at all. So that's why we're, we're pushing um, the federal uh, Minister of Heritage to release or allocate some funds to an area where they've traditionally um, have ignored the independently owned um, venues. And maybe rightly so to a certain extent, but Funding has generally gone to not-for-profits and artists themselves, like Factor and everything else. But we've had to just rely on our ability to try and raise money as much as possible ourselves. Um, so we, we're trying to educate the um, the heritage minister and people, mostly in the federal, because provincially we have Creative BC with our Amplify program and they understand. They understand that we're, critical in the development of uh, live music and musicians. And so, you know, they've been allocating some funds to help us through, which is great, but it's the federal government that just don't seem to get that we're really important in the overall ecosystem of live music in Canada. Um, Without independent music venues uh, like ourselves, where will musicians go to um, hone the skills and, you know, maybe pubs, but then after that, what do you do? You can't go from pubs to arena rock. So I think we're we're finally getting through to them that we're really important uh, and, and the reason for our existence. So yeah, the whole drive um, behind this coalition of um, Canadian independent venues was to highlight, you know, who we are, just educate them who we are, why we're important to the overall um, scheme of things of live music in Canada and why without any funding, um, 9 out of 10 venues will shut down.
0: And I'm glad you brought that up. How did you get involved in the Canadian Independent Venue Coalition, and what is this group currently doing to help ensure the survival of the live music industry in Canada?
1: Right. So we've had numerous meetings with the Canadian Live Music Association. It's a big umbrella group that uh, advocates on behalf of Everyone in the live uh, music industry you know, festivals, uh, not-for-profits, people like us. What well, we found are you know, venue owners that were on these calls uh, found that our specific sector wasn't being um, necessarily highlighted, and we felt like we were just slipping through the cracks. And so, um, a few of the people on the call, we decided we would just create this coalition so that we could um, highlight our plight and also, like I said, educate the government and, and, and every, actually public at large on uh, who we are. You know, People have this misconception that we're just beer halls with live music, <laughs> where that's not really the case. We're live music venues that have to sell beer to, to try and make ends meet because we get no funding from the, from the federal government. So we felt uh, we needed a voice. And so we created this coalition um, within the last six weeks or so. And we've done a lot of uh, advocacy work. We've had a lot of artists uh, on board. They've done little short videos um, explaining to everyone who would want to listen why venues like ourselves um, have been important in the development. And right to the, uh, to the members of parliament, as well as the heritage minister, about paying attention to our sector specifically. And so we've created this website called supportcanadianvenues.ca. It explains, uh, you know, what's at risk and what people can do to um, speak on our behalf and write to their MPs and write to the minister. And we've created templates, a letter that you can just sign off. You don't even have to think about your own words. And just, yeah, just to highlight the fact that we're important. Um, I think we're important. <laughs> so, And just, you know, I think there's a tendency where people think that someone else will take care of it. But right now, this is a very much a grassroots campaign to let people know that we're, it's, it, you know, it, it's, it sounds stark and staggering that 9 out of 10 venues will shut. But that's a, that's a reality. And that's not just in Canada. That statistics is the same as in the U.S., and in the UK, it's remarkable how throughout the world, um, you know, 90% of venues have indicated that will shut down, um, you know, within six months.
0: Yeah. With it being as stark as that is, the drive to prevent that from happening is really, sorry, I'm trying to think of the right word, but it's uh yeah, it's a, uh,
1: it's, it it's kind of backs yeah. against the wall here <laughs> and we can't, you know, we can't be quiet and hope for the best. We have to do something and, and, and let people know specifically that we need help. Um, we haven't done that in the past because like I said, we've, we've uh, used our wit and our own cash <laughs> to try and get through, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy owning a music menu. A lot of music venues shut down over time. You know, the, the attrition rate's pretty high but, but the venues that have lasted like ours for over a decade, um, you know, we must be doing something right. Um, and ironically, 2020 was actually going to be our, our best year ever. Um, I don't recall a time when by the middle of March, I had, s- um, close to 90 shows that I knew that were going to happen, um, to the end of the year. Plus a lot more that would have happened, obviously. I remember when I took over the rickshaw back in actually July um, 2011. Um, so yeah, this is my anniversary month with taking over the rickshaw. Um, so I took over July 15th and I had six shows from July 15th to December 31st that were on the books. Contrast that to 90 shows that I had on the books in the middle of March, from middle of March to end of uh, December. So, you know, we've worked really hard to make Rickshaw a, a go-to venue for a lot of bands. And so for us to be in such a predicament is um, beyond sad.
0: And I think you, you touched on something that, and this is something I've observed as a as a music fan, venues do come and go, whether it's change of ownership or just... You know all sorts of reasons why uh, businesses go under, but the situation we're in right now is just so unprecedented, which I think is um, it adds to adds to the challenge.
1: It definitely adds to the challenge, and and we're you know, not to repeat myself too much, but we're in a very unique situation where, um, like movie theaters, can open up right now. Um, I think the Rio is having their first um, screening tonight. But just the nature of live music, um, you can't really have a concert with social distancing and limited capacity. Like with the Rickshaw, we um, we have a capacity of around 500. For me to do a show with 50 people is just not economically viable. I can't even do a show with 150 to 200 people and make any money at it. They can't even break even at that. So, you know, restaurants can get by, um, maybe even hotels can get by, movie theaters can possibly get by, I'll you see um, how Kareem does with that. But just the very nature of live music, it requires congregation, there's singing, there's moshing, <laughs> you, should, you know, you should, it's just, it's antithesis of, uh, you know, social distancing doesn't work in that sense. So we're, we're just so far away from knowing when we'll open.
0: Yeah. And kind of circling back a bit on, uh, I guess with the, the coalition, I'll, I'll call it civic, I guess, going forward for right. the rest of the interview. Um, who are some of the other individuals and groups that you're collaborating with who make up a part of this coalition?
1: Yeah. So there's this venue is in Alberta, uh, Ontario. There's, um, the Casper and, um, Hamilton, uh, Starlight in Edmonton, the Garrison, Toronto. We, we've, you know, our community is all encompassing. Like we have a huge number of people that are in our community. There's a core group of us that uh, meet once or twice a week. So it, it's, it's, it's venues in Quebec, Ontario. There's, there's venues in Manitoba in there as well. Someone from Saskatchewan. The names escape me right now, but it, yeah, it, it's, it represents around 400 different. Uh, Venues and music uh, organizations.
0: Besides the venue operators themselves, uh, and this is a detail that was you know really, really, I really picked up on reading through mm-hmm. the website. How many other sectors in the music and interne- yeah in the music and entertainment industry will be negatively affected by the, the permanent right. potential permanent closures of these venues if this
1: this was well, I hard. guess number one would be the artists themselves, musicians um they just won't have the ability to um have stages to play on um other than civic theaters maybe i don't know and then and then you have obviously the technical crew all the production crew the sound people the lighting people the production uh management um tour managers merch sellers bar staff promoters um booking agents what else do you have just everyone that's associated with it. And then beyond that, there's also the economic spinoff, uh, restaurants uh, surrounding the venue, uh, retail, coffee shops. I think the last study that was done for every dollar spent at a venue, there's an economic spinoff of $12 in the economy. So, I mean, that's a huge spinoff. So even from a purely economic uh, perspective, if these venues were to shut down permanently, You'd lose out on the um, the economic spin-offs that they provide as well. So there's you know there's there's a whole bunch of stakeholders involved in this. Just yeah, going down. Just like I said, every conceivable uh, supply chain would be uh, uh, affected in this.
0: Another detail I picked up on was um, there's been a few different news sources that have also mentioned that one of the key challenges facing the industry is and this is kind of more post-pandemic but consumer reluctance to attend live events even after social distancing measures have been lifted is there anything the live music industry can realistically do to combat that consumer reluctance i mean i can't speak for myself because as soon as i am able to attend shows yeah i'll be doing so
1: it'll be interesting i think it'll be very demographic specific for example, I had um, a show booked for May, um, Martin Barr, who's the guitarist from Jethro Tull. you know. By by the middle of March, we knew that that would have to get postponed. And it got postponed to November of this year, and then subsequently got postponed to September of next year now. But that would be the demographics. That would be people in their 50s and 60s. And um, we've had around... 60% uh, request for refunds for that. And, you know, like I said, it, the, the older group will will be more reluctant to come back. But some of the other shows where we've had um, would attract the more people more in their 20s. Um, we've seen a nutrition rate of maybe 25%, 20, 25%. So there you can, that sort of speaks to, you know, the reluctance of some audience members to come back and not others. I think live music is such a thing that if it's in your blood, you're gonna go. <laughs> it's you, you, uh, the number of times that people have reached out to me and said how much they miss going to uh, concerts. I think once we're operational, I don't think it's gonna take long for people to overcome their reluctance to go. And I, again, just by the by the um, the mere nature of the fact that we'll be the last to open, it's when people will feel safe to go out anyway, and we'll have a vaccine or a treatment by then. So I think to ally people's fears, we'll have measures in place by then that we don't have right now. So people are looking at it from today's lens uh, and are now reluctant to go. But when we get to that point in time, when we're allowed to open, um, the world will be in uh, sort of a different place by then.
0: And really, it's a it's a matter of making sure these venues can survive that interim period, because that's the.
1: Yeah, I mean that. So that, I mean, there's two strategies involved. One's sort of mitigating our current losses, just survival mode right now, and then the second phase, which is equally as important, is the recovery phase, because like I said before, we're not gonna just turn on the lights, and here we go, we've got bands playing. There's going to be another period of time when, yes, we'll be allowed to have concerts, but we really won't have that many acts, and so we'll be bleeding cash then as well. So it's just not, you know, right now we're focusing heavily on um, this first initial phase of funding, just so that we can still have a venue, but then is once we are at that stage where we can start showing, uh, having booking acts, there'll be a period of time when our calendars will be full
0: again and i guess part of that i'm looking very far in advance but i guess part of that will also depend on where canada will be and where our neighbors in the u.s will be because i imagine the majority of the touring acts that come through uh the Shaw are I, I would imagine even more so or have come from the states than from other parts yeah. of canada
1: well yeah for sure and and our business would not survive without touring acts. And it's really not even just the States um, or bands based in the States. Even touring acts from Europe, they're not going to tour just Canada uh, to make it work their while. They're going to tour North America. So that means the US as well. So they'll have to go into the US and then come up to Canada. So, so regardless whether they're US-based uh, bands or European bands, you still have to cross the border. And if there's still travel restrictions, and if the U.S. are still, still have their heads stuck in the sand with the way they're approaching uh, combating the pandemic, um, <laughs> it's gonna sever, severely impact our, um, our business. What's happening in the U.S. right now in the long term is gonna have a huge impact on us as well. So, you know, the few that are clamoring for their civil liberties and freedom are well, obviously they're not looking at the, the whole global picture, but they're they're actually going to impact us down the road.
0: Yeah, and that's the uh, the thing that bugs me the most is not having that big picture look, not seeing how the measures you take place now prevent things from from this being an ongoing. Thing. Yeah,
1: I mean, just think about it. Um, let's say all of Europe, all of the rest of the world, for example, um, for that matter, rather, have had a good handle on this, and we're—I don't know—even if you don't have a vaccine, unless there is built-in immunity, we're still not going to be able to have touring bands from Europe, because it would not be worth their while just a to tour Canada. So now we're now you're going to have purely Canadian bands playing in Canadian venues, which. It's not a bad thing, but it's not sustainable. It's not a sustainable model for us.
0: And a, a big part of that is just due to the yeah, population density and just the amount of travel involved. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that's, and that's and you, you bring up a really good point. The, this whole network of uh, venues that we have in Canada, you know, from Victoria to Vancouver to Kamloops to Kelowna to Red Deer to Calgary, Edmonton, there's all these pockets of music venues that make it feasible for Canadian based bands to go and do their West coast tour or Western region tour or go East. Cause there are all these small venues that, that they can play in. Now just imagine if nine out of 10 of those venues no longer exist, you know, that's the, that just stops that. And then, um, European tours or even uh, American tours when they're finally ready to come. there's no, there won't be enough pennies for them to bother coming to Canada, so it's a, it's a lose lose proposition, and I, and I hate the fact that I have, I'm sitting here, literally begging for the federal government to allocate some of their funding because they have five hundred million dollar um, earmarked for um, arts, cultural, sports, I believe. And right now they've um, announced 20 million um, of what they're calling the phase two funding, which is gonna happen imminently. And we just have to make sure that they, that that we get some of that $20 million that they've allocated. Um, I mean, like I said, traditionally they have not uh, viewed us as an important part of the cultural fabric of Canada. And we just have to now just, we don't have time, but we're, we're, we're literally on their case um, and letting them know that um, that we are important.
0: And on that, how can listeners take action to help Civic?
1: Well, I would suggest um, going to the um, website. Again, that's supportcanadianvenues.ca um, there's a whole host of uh, resources and information there, and clearly lays out what we're asking for. And like I said, um, it's really important to write those letters because they have, they do have a huge impact. Once uh, MPs realize their consist-
0: constituency
1: um, <laughs> are actually interested in this topic, you know, and have the sheer volume of letters it does resonate and they will bring it up. So it's really important that they, they do that. And then, you know, follow all the socials. Um, we've just released um, yesterday a uh, video from uh, Gort Sinclair and I forget who else from The Tragically hit, explaining why some, uh, independent menus are really important and was important in the development of them. Dan Mangan has just done one today. We've had Mother Mother. We've had, you know, a whole bunch of people, Deaf and Naked. Um, who have spoken in support of uh, supporting independent venues.
0: And I do want to get into some of the, the details of um, the action items that are listed on the website. This is, uh, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the letter writing because I did want to uh, get into that a little bit. The, that approach might seem a little bit old-fashioned to some listeners, um, so I wanted to ask why uh, this is an important and effective way to get the government's attention about the severity of this issue.
1: I think it's um, the sheer volume, right? Um, it's, it's amplifying what we're, our small group is trying to communicate to the powers that be. But when you have the rest of Canada, uh, you know, or at least a subsection of the rest of Canada who uh, treasure the arts, also amplify our message. It it, it does make a huge uh, impact, and it's not entirely old-fashioned because you can just email it. You don't actually have to <laughs> write the letter, sign it, put it in an envelope, and, and mail it. It's it, we've given you um, email addresses where you can actually send um, that letter to. You. But yeah, it seems like that's that that traditional form of advocacy has always been um, effective.
0: Another action item that's listed on the website is supporting local businesses. What are some tangible and meaningful ways that listeners can do this?
1: I'm assuming you mean... Uh, um,
0: Support local.
1: So just local anywhere or just... I, 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 uh, I'll I have to refer back to it. Um, my focus has been supporting local venues. <laughs> But uh, It might
0: be more in reference to that. I was just talking yeah, about yeah. one of the action items on the website. Yeah,
1: I think um, you know so some of us are are trying to pivot to things like uh, live streaming, and we just had one last Friday actually, which I thought turned out really well with the uh, two bands, uh, Oswald and uh, Rec Beach. So you know, just uh, really and selling merch for us. I guess there's there's really not that much more that they can do other than um keep engaging with us. Uh, I think the rickshaw of all the venues that I've seen in town are probably the most um prolific, I guess, in our social media presence since we shut down. I think we've we've posted something every day since we've shut down. Um, just to let people know that hey we're around and we're we're advocating for all the other venues in town and around the country. And then you know just Letting people not forget us and also live music and concerts in general as well. But that's the only reference I can think of about supporting local business. I'm always support local business uh, regardless.
0: Of course. And I'm glad you mentioned the live stream concert that you recently did. Do you have any plans to do more events like that uh, in the near future?
1: Yeah, no, we've got a few bands that have reached out to us, especially after that uh, live stream we did, because they, they thought it was really good. Um, so, yeah, we will have a few more of those. It's really tough to monetize that. Um, you know, the one that we did, um, the bands agreed to be guinea pigs for us, and uh, and we had a donation button, and it offset some of my costs. Um, not you know, maybe half of my, the cost of, of, actually doing it. Um, but we are looking at, uh, a new initiative, uh, called sound On um, through, uh, music BC, uh, where there are, um, that they, ha- they are giving out grants for doing live streaming. So there's an application uh, form that you have to go through and, uh, they know that the rickshaw is really interested in, in doing more live streaming personally for me. You know, for me, it's not a money-making thing at all. It's just keeping our uh, production crew busy, making sure bands have somewhere to play. As long as my costs are covered, that's my primary goal. It's not meant to be any form of a revenue generator or a fundraiser like that. It's just, you know, sure, there's branding involved, so there's a marketing aspect to it. But mostly it's just making sure our our production and tech crew are keeping busy and also advancing their own, uh, technical skills as well. We've learned a lot with, um, we, we actually prior to Oswald and Red Beach, we did something with the uh, Bishop's green as well. And, and they'll be releasing it. Uh, those, those, there's a lot of post-production involved with that one. So it's not tr- truly a live stream, even, even the Oswald and Red Beach, we did film it. Uh, we did, uh, film it the night before, um, and just, um, made sure that, much like this interview, uh, we um, edited out anything that didn't make sense. But for the most part, it was just pretty much the way we had um, uh, taped it. So, um, yeah, so for me, it's we'll definitely do that. I just have to figure out how um, costs are covered, and then, you know, the bands can and get something out of it as well. But SoundOn is actually a program where they will pay the bands and the venue for putting on shows. It's not a lot of money uh, so far that they've got, and I'm sure that their intake of applications will be pretty huge. So it'll, you know, they'll they'll give the money out until it runs out.
0: And I imagine with the intake, it's probably going to run out a lot quicker than that September 30th final cutoff date. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's it's going to run out pretty quickly as well. So um, I've had good conversations with them so far. And so, you know, they, they know we're going to... I've already got two or three um, dates with uh, a couple of bands. We're just finalizing, you know, who the support bill will be and stuff like that. And that can take time. Even putting on a local show is not the easiest thing either because it's it takes time to sort of wrangle everyone and just make sure everyone's dates work fine and everything like that. And um, even the best late plans go awry sometimes. So this is critical that people who are committed to it actually follow through. Otherwise it's just, <laughs> when you're doing a live stream show, it's you, you, you have many points of failure. <laughs> and so um, yeah, so we will short answer, yes, we will be doing some more.
0: Fantastic, and I'm looking forward to obviously promoting those uh, event the yeah, those events great. when they come out and uh, checking them out. Um, finally, um, where can listeners go to learn more about what Civic is up to?
1: Well, I think they should follow like, all the socials, um, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I think the handle for all of them is at uh, CDN Venue. Um, but those links are also on the website. Um, we're constantly posting something every single day. There's the videos that uh, artists have uh, lent their you know, voice to as well. Um, and this will likely go up on, on there as well. Um, and there's, um Canada, all the different um, media have been sort of jumping on this and, and uh, amplifying our needs
0: which is, yeah, which is super important. And Mo, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I wish it was under better, more positive circumstances, but I, nonetheless.
1: I, I have, I have, um, I don't know if it's misplaced or not, but I have great hope that, um, you know, they'll come to a realization that, you know, it's just not, not only Canada, um, in, in the States, there's NEVA, uh, the, um, not exactly what the acronym is, but um, I think it's, uh, forget what the ends from, it's Ind- Independent Venue Association. Then um, there's also, yesterday, it was yesterday or today, uh, there's about 1,500 uh, musicians, including Paul McCartney, amongst others, that have um, signed an open letter to the government of UK about uh, saving independent venues. Uh, there, so, um, it's not just a, a national thing with us in Canada. This is being highlighted throughout the world. And I think it's, you'll, you'll, you'll hear more and more stories about this. And and now that's become a global issue and just not, you know, a Canadian issue, the government of Canada will start paying attention. I think New Zealand and Australia and Germany and France, um, I think are the only ones that have clearly shown leadership in regards to um, saving independent venues.
0: Just a matter of kind of catching up with those countries but for I, sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cool. but you know, just another shout out to Creative BC uh, and their Amplifier Program. Um, they really recognize the need to step up, and 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 they are
0: for sure. Well, thanks again, Mo.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: For sure. Thank you, Mo. See ya. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, James Olson. Pacific Sound Radio is produced by Mark Lingelblock. You can check us out on Facebook at Pacific Sound Radio, Instagram at Pacific Sound Radio, Twitter at Pacific S Radio, YouTube at Pacific Sound Media. Our website is www.pacificsoundradio.com and wherever you stream your podcasts. If you like the show, there are a few different ways you can support it. You can go give us a five star and a positive review on apple podcasts or your podcast platform of choice that lets you leave reviews you can share this podcast on your social media and you can recommend the show in person from a safe social distance of course to your friends family and co-workers if you know a local band or artist that you think should appear as guests on our show let us know fill a form on our website or send us an email to talkpsr at
1: gmail.com